And uh, you may be seated. Is this thing on or do, is there some switch? It's on. You're on. Come on. All right. All right. We were, Jeannie and I were doing a marriage conference one time. In fact, Jeannie's right back there. That's my, my, the bride of my youth. We have been married uh, 46 years. And uh, marriage just keeps getting better. So uh, we were doing a marriage conference. And uh, I started speaking. And my mic was not on. And so she gets behind and starts messing around. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, she's getting, and she said, well, I'm just trying to turn you on. So. Nice. <laughs> Marriage is good. <laughs> Marriage is good. All right. So, uh, 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 let's see. So we've been, uh, we, we spent, uh, our first anniversary, we were in Mexico. We were missionaries by that time. We were there for several years. Um, and now we've been back here, pastoring here for 38 years. So I kind of feel like David, who said, I was young, and now I'm old. <laughs> All right. And there's, there's certain things that you learn just by experience, right? Just by being there, just by staying with it. But uh, I want to talk to you just from one phrase of the Lord's Prayer tonight, where Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray and say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So I want to talk to you about forgiveness. And I want to start in Romans chapter 12, where it says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when someone does something evil to you and you avenge yourself, you literally perpetuate the evil. The Bible says you're overcome by evil because you respond in the wrong spirit. Uh, it's in James where it says this. It says the wrath of man, how many ever been mad? Okay. Does not bring the will of God. So as surely as you try to avenge yourself, you are guaranteed to not get the will of God in that situation. It's interesting, Jesus on the cross, he prays and he says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. When he is risen from the dead, he appears with his disciples, and he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven them. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Uh, one translation says, if you pronounce them unforgiven, unforgiven, they remain. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about forgiveness. Of course, in his, the prayer he taught his disciples, there's forgiveness. When Stephen, the first martyr, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he's being stoned to death, and he prays, and he says, Lord, do not charge them with their, this sin. And having said this, he died. Um, I believe it's very, very clear that forgiveness lies at the heart 
of the Christian gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God is not just that you receive forgiveness, but the good news is that you are able, because you are forgiven, to forgive others. Uh, Jesus' gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. And what Christians are supposed to be is the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. The forgiving community of forgiving sinners. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, All these things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. So God is not holding your sins against you, but he's not holding other people's sins against them either. Right? And he says this is the message that we have to give to others. Right? So we don't just receive forgiveness, we need to give forgiveness. Right? And we all share something in common. Every one of us needs forgiveness. Right? But how many realize there is some wickedness in this world? Terrible things happen. People lie, cheat, steal. Children get molested. People are raped, dehumanizing things, uh, genocide. There's Hitlers, there's Stalins, there's Pol Pots. And that in this world that we live in today, can there really be forgiveness? Because there's a lot of bad stuff, right? Uh, Jeannie and I read a book a number of years ago, and there was a lot of really great things in the book. But the author of this book said, there are some things that are so bad, you just can't forgive them. <clears throat> so what you need to do is, she said in this book, she says, you need to put all that stuff in this pocket. All right. And then you live from this pocket. All right. Except when it comes to that person, and then you've got the stuff that they did in this pocket. And as we're reading the book, my wife said to me, well, if you put poop in your pocket, it doesn't matter which pocket it's in. Because you're going to stink. You know? And that really is true. It's really true. Uh, Simon Wiesenthal was a Jew in World War II in a concentration camp. Uh, he wrote a book. I've, I've got the book right here. I've read it probably 15, 16 years ago. It's called The Sunflower. And uh, the subtitle is On the Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. Well, he's taken into a concentration camp, and he sees people being shot, uh, starved, all sorts of dehumanizing things happening, people that he knows, they're killed, they're put in unmarked graves. He lost 89 members of his extended family in the genocide. He was the only one of his family who survived. Uh, one day he was taken on a work detail and he was supposed to be taken to a school where they were going to be doing some repairs. But on the way there, they passed a makeshift hospital. They're right near the Russian front at this time. And as they're going by, they find out they need some help. He says, right almost across the street, there's a cemetery. He said, where the German soldiers are being buried. And he said, and 
over each one of the, uh, the, the graves was a sunflower. And he said that sunflower was looking up at the sky and the sun was shining. In fact, he said, uh, I was spellbound. The flower heads seemed to absorb the sun rays like mirrors and draw them down into the darkness of the ground. As I gazed, it wa I wandered from flower, sunflower to the grave. And it seemed to penetrate the earth. And suddenly, I saw before me a periscope. It was colored. The butterflies fluttered from flower to flower. They were carrying a message from grave to grave. They were whispering something to each flower as they passed to the soldiers below. Yes, that was just what they were doing. The dead were receiving light and messages. Suddenly, I envied the dead soldiers. Each had a sunflower to connect him to the living world and butterflies to visit his grave. But for me, there would be no sunflower. I would be buried in a mass grave where corpses would be piled on top of me. No sunflower would ever bring light into my darkness and no butterflies would dance above my dreadful tomb. Well, he's taken into the hospital to work that day and a German nurse selects him and takes him up to one of the floors when in that room, he said there was a dying young German SS officer. He was covered in bandages. He had been on the front. He had been near a bomb that exploded and the only part of his body that did not have burns on it were his eyes. And she says he was all covered in bandages. You could see his eyes, see his mouth, a little slit for his nose. His name was Carl. He was 22 years old. He was dying. And he asked the nurse before, he said, if you can bring me a Jew. Well, she remembered his dying request. So she brought uh, Simon, a Jew, to see Carl. And Carl reached out his hand in the darkness and he said, are you a Jew? And he said, yes, I am. And he began to hold it. He said, Simon said he held it so tight. He told him this story. He said, I was brought up in Germany in a Christian home. I was an only child. When Hitler came to power, my parents were against Hitler. He said, but at age 15, I joined the Hitler Youth. My parents tried to stop me, but I wouldn't be stopped. And at 18, I joined the SS. I helped persecute Jews, and I was involved in attacks against many Jews. But he said, in one town in Poland, we rounded up about 150 Jews. But instead of putting them in the rail camps to send them to Auschwitz, he said, we thought we'll just take care of them ourselves." He said, so we put them all in a house. I said, and then we put the house on fire. He said, and I, I looked in the window and I saw a, a husband, his arms around his wife, and she had a little boy in her arms. And as it got hotter, he said, they broke the window. And as each one stepped out, he says, I shot him and I killed him. He said, the mother, the little boy, I shot each one of them. And he wouldn't let Simon's hand go. And he said, I was trying to be nice to him. He said, I held his hand. I brushed the flies away. I gave him a drink of water. He said, but he said to me, he said, I didn't know that there were any more Jews. He said, but I wanted to ask a Jew for forgiveness. Would you forgive me? 
Simon said, he thought for only a second, he said, I didn't say a word. I just dropped his hand. I turned around and I walked out of the room. After the war, the man had died and actually left everything he had to Simon. The only thing Simon kept was the address where he lived. After the war, he went. He said, I'm going to find out if what he said was true. And he went and he talked to his mother. The, his father had died in the war. Her son, of course, was now dead. And just as the young man said, that's what he found out. And the mother said to him, she says, I know many terrible things happen in the war. He said, but my son Simon, he wouldn't have anything to do with any of it. He said, I didn't want to change her view of her son. He said, but I knew that that wasn't true. And that's pretty much where the beginning, the first portion of the book ends. But then what happens, I think, is interesting. He writes to, tells the story, and writes to, a, to 50 of the most prominent thinkers, philosophers, theologians, pastors, rabbis, monks, and priests, and asks them. He asks atheists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, novelists, what should I have done? Should I have forgiven him? Is there truly, is there forgiveness for an SS officer from God or from man? Nine people didn't answer. 44 answered. 28 just said no. You should never forgive. 16 said yes. By the way, of those 16, 13 were Christians. Three were Buddhists, including the Dalai Lama. Uh, I thought it was interesting. They said, uh, good and evil are only an illusion. There's not really such a thing as sin, and there's nothing to forgive. Life is about suffering. That was the Buddhist response. Uh, I find that kind of empty. But the Christian said this, even something that is horribly wicked and sinful can be forgiven and should be forgiven. Right? Now, when we, when we forgive somebody, what we're doing is we are not saying that there is no legal sense that something needs to take place. But what we are saying is that we no longer demand any recompense from that person. We're saying we turn that person over to God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, when we do that, there's different things that can happen. Right? There's basically three things that can happen. Number one is that they repent and receive forgiveness just like you did. Number two is the law of sowing and reaping. Right? You sow it's likely you're going to reap. The Bible talks about how most people's sins are recompensed in this world, but there are some that are not. But listen, nobody gets away with anything because there is a judgment day. It's something that people tend to forget. And when Jesus returns, he will make every wrong right. He will make every wrong right. Everyone. So, Forgiveness does not mean we don't remember anymore. 
God said this. He says, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. It's, it's not remembering on purpose. It's not saying it didn't happen. It's not saying it was right that it happened. Right? From God and from one human to another, no matter what the offense, if there is no possibility of forgiveness, then the Christian gospel is a fairy tale and Christianity is a fraud. Because we can forgive. By the way, Simon lived to be 96, died in 2005, um, never did forgive. But when you look at the cross, you look at the resurrection, you look at Jesus' teaching. Jesus said in Mark 11, he said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Every time you pray. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus is telling us that you are going to have opportunities to be offended <laughs> regularly, right? and that even forgiving one time sometimes is not enough. Right? In fact, forgiveness in itself is a decision that you make. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. Because Jesus said you can forgive anybody in two minutes. Now, I've talked with people who told me I have been trying to forgive for 20 years. But Jesus said you can forgive when you pray. You can forgive. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. Right? But there's something that goes with, the, with that decision, that faith decision. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. And by the way, that was in one day. All right. So this is what the disciples said. This is important. This is what they said. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Because the way you forgive, listen, you forgive by faith. You don't forgive by feelings. You forgive by faith. You forgive because it's the right thing to do. You forgive because you've been forgiven. And you can forgive because you've been forgiven. Whatever anyone has done against us is nothing compared to all that we have done against God, who has forgiven us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, and, and that is where that story goes. It says, we've been forgiven so much, we need to forgive others. But forgiveness, then, needs to have works that go with it, because faith without works is, is dead. So you forgive the person by faith, but then you pray for them that they have a car wreck. No. <laughs> you, you pray God bless them. You pray God give them repentance. You, you pray the things for that person that you would like for your own life. Right? In fact, Jesus said to pray for those that spitefully use you. Right? He said to do good to those who mistreat you. So if you can do them good, do them good. Do them good. Now somebody said, well, I need to go tell them. Probably not. 90% right? uh, of the time, when you get offended, the other person doesn't even know. They're clueless. And it's 99% of the time when you're married. Because <laughs> uh, us guys, we just don't have a clue. <laughs> so uh, in Ephesians... The fourth chapter, 
The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. How many know there is a good anger? You know, we, should, we should be angry at the devil. Angry at sin. Not the sinner, but at sin. Right? Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place to the devil. See, when, when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, we literally, we open the door for Satan, for the enemy to come in and attack our lives. I mentioned earlier that uh, Jeannie and I spent our first, by the time we were married a year, we were already missionaries in Mexico. And uh, during the first two years we were in Mexico, we started a church. And then after two years, I left that church with my assistant. We moved to an Indian village. And we lived in an Indian village with the Otomi Indians for two years. And then we moved back to this, the original city, Guadalajara. At that time, it's probably, it's got to be getting close to 5 million people. It's a big city. Right? So I'm teaching in a Bible college. And we're helping um, a young man that we'd led to the Lord. We're helping him and his wife start a church on the other side of town. So I hear what's going on in the first church that we started. There's this man in the church, a uh, very successful businessman. He gets mad at the pastor. And one Sunday morning after service, he comes up from the church, and he starts yelling at the pastor. And he starts cussing the pastor out in church, screaming. Walks out the back of the church, gets in his car, squeals his tires down the road. Now, eight, nine months have come and gone, and he has not darkened the door of the church, not one time. But I'm hearing what's going, every place he goes, he's going, that pastor, he's a false prophet. That pastor, he's a liar. That pastor, he's a hypocrite. That pastor, that pastor, he's talking about the pastor. So Jeannie says to me, she says, uh, you should go see him. And I said, no, babes. <laughs> I said, I am the ex-pastor. Right? We got enough problems with the new church. We don't need to know problems from the old church. And she said, well, I think you should go. And I said, well, I think you shouldn't talk to me about that because I don't want to go. <laughs> so I don't know if it was a week later, probably a week, maybe it was 10 days later. All of a sudden I said, okay, I'll go. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. All right? And she says, okay. She says, you should go. And uh, she says, uh, I said, but I really don't want to. Maybe I can go later, some other time. And she says, no, you should go right now. She literally walks me outside, <laughs> opens the door, and puts me in the car. <laughs> uh, Sunday afternoon. All right. So it's like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. I get over to their house. I knock on the door. His wife answers the door, and I said, hey, so great to see you. She said, oh, pastor, so good to see you. I, I said, uh, you know, I come to talk to your husband. And uh, she says, he's upstairs in bed. And I look at her kind of funny, because uh, in, in the Latin culture, you don't go to bed early. I mean, 10 o'clock is time for tacos, you know? <laughs> Let's go have some cow tongue tacos. I mean, that's just awesome. So I, I kind of look at her like, what's wrong? And she says, you don't know. And I said, no, what? She says, he has a tumor. And she says, he's going into the hospital tomorrow, and uh, he's gonna, they're going to prep him, and the next day he's having surgery, and uh, it is life-threatening. We don't even know if he's going to make it. I said, I didn't have a clue. She said, well, he's upstairs in the bedroom. Go on up. So I go upstairs. I mean, it's a huge bedroom, big old king-size bed. And uh, there's probably 20, 25 people in the room. Now, in, uh, in the Latin, well, in, in uh, the Southern culture, 
when somebody died, dies, particularly Louisiana, some of those areas, everybody comes over to their house and they have a wake, right? Um, the, the body's there and everybody's there and they just spend hours and hours and hours. Well, in the Latin culture, you do that, but you don't wait till they die. All right? you, if, if you love them, you show up all right? and you show your support while they're still alive. I like that. I think that's good. Give them flowers while they're alive. So there's like 20, 25 people in the room. Right? I come to talk to him about his pastor. I come to confront him. And there's 20, 25 people in a room. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This is not going to work, you know. So I, st I stayed maybe a half hour. And I thought, this is, I can't talk to him about this now. Dumb idea anyway. Jeannie, you were wrong, you know. <laughs> so so uh, I start to shake hands. Again, Latin culture, when you leave the room, you shake everybody's hand. Right? So I start shaking hands. I probably get four or five people through. And, and I get to his nephew, who also attended our first church. And he said, Pastor, aren't you going to at least pray for him? And I thought, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I did, because I'm thinking, he's been spreading strife and division. He has opened the door for the devil. And I, could, I can pray for him, but I may just as well say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. So, like a good pastor, I go over. You know, I lay hands on him. I pray a very nice pastoral prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And I continue to shake hands. Well, the nephew runs downstairs. And he's back up in, in less than a minute. And he has got a, I'm going to guess it's a two-liter container of like Crisco oil. Right. So that's like a half a gallon of Crisco oil, cooking oil. And he walks over to me, and he literally he pushes it into my chest. And he says, Pastor, pray for him like in the Bible, James <laughs> chapter 5. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I am. I'm like, oh, great. James 5. You know James 5. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And if he's forgiven any sins, they'll be, if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. And I'm thinking, oh, great. So I go over with the oil. Now, the oil doesn't do anything. You know, so it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, yeah. But it's also a, a symbol of what would happen in the Old Testament when a, a Levite became 30 years old, and they would bring him to the temple, and he would be dedicated to the Lord, and they would anoint him with oil. Right? And basically what he's supposed to say is, God, if I'm doing anything I'm not supposed to do, I quit. And if there's anything I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing, I'm starting. How many of you call that repentance? So I get over next to him, and, and, and I said to him, I said, uh, I said, could it possibly be that maybe you have something against somebody? Someplace in your heart? And he looked at me, and he said, you know I do. And I says, yeah. I says, uh, I've heard I've heard a few things. I said, uh, do you want to be healed or do you want to be cut? And he said, well, I want to be healed. And I said, well, you know what Ephesians says. It says that you're given place to the devil and that you need to forgive. I said, I don't even think I should pray for you if you're not going to forgive. 
He says, well, I'll forgive. I said, okay. I said, uh, you need to forgive the pastor from your heart. You need to pray for him that God bless him. He says, I'll do that. So he just, he's laying on the bed. You know, he closes his eyes. Remember, there's like 25 people watching. I don't know how long it took. It seemed like an hour, right? But it was probably three minutes, right? He opened his eyes and he said, I did it. He says, I've forgiven him. And as soon as I can, he said, I will go and see him and I will apologize to him. I thought, well, that's good. So I take the top off that oil. Now, what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to take your pointing finger on your right hand, get a drop, put it right there, like one inch above where their eyebrows come together, you know, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, okay? So if you ever go to Bible school and they do the anointing with oil class, you don't need to go now because you know what to do, all right? But I was in a bad mood. I was. I, really, I literally, I took the tap off, and I just went bloop, bloop, bloop. I did. Right on his head. Smeared it. Smeared it around, you know. Uh, and, and the word to anoint it, look it up. It means to smear. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It really does. It does. It means to smear. So I guess I was all right. right? So I prayed the prayer of faith, and I left. Went home. A couple days later, they get a hold of us. And this is what they said. They said, did you hear what happened? I said, no. How did it go? They said, you had not left 45 minutes, and that tumor came out of his body. Now, somebody said, what a coincidence. I don't believe that was a coincidence. I believe he opened the door for the enemy, and as soon as he closed that door, God's grace flowed to him. I don't believe that forgiveness is an option. I don't believe it's an option. Jesus said, every time you pray, if you have anything, every time, all-inclusive. Anything, all-inclusive. Anyone, all-inclusive. All-inclusive. I don't believe there's anything that cannot be forgiven. Let me just close with one more little short story. Charles Roberts IV, October the 2nd, 2006. He's 32 years old, drove a dairy truck for a living, lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, married to a wonderful Christian girl named Amy. They've got three young children. And if you would look at his life from the outside, you would have said, dude, you're living the life. You've got a great life. Nine years earlier, their first child was born, a little girl, only lived 20 minutes, and she died. And Charles Roberts blamed God. He was bitter. That bitter turned into anger, and that anger turned into rage. You know, the Bible says this in Hebrews 12. It says, see that nobody falls from God's grace, that no bitterness spring up, causes trouble, and spoils everybody's life. Right? See, you hold that unforgiveness inside, it's like, a, it's, it's like a seed, and that root grows, and eventually, the Bible says, it springs up. And I like what it says. It says it spoils everybody's life because unforgiveness is not like a laser beam. Unforgiveness 
is like a hand grenade. Everybody that's close to you is affected. Right? Well, not only had his daughter died, but when he was 12 years old, he had molested two of his young relatives. Uh, they were so young at the time, they had no recollection at all. But there's like there's two deadly poisons that are working inside him. There's this unforgiveness that's turned into rage, and there's the shame of what he had done. And he decides to seek revenge against God by killing innocent girls. In his suicide note, this is what he wrote. He said, I'm filled with so much hate towards myself and towards God in this unimaginable emptiness. I'm angry with God, and I need to punish some Christian girls to get even with them. So on October the 2nd, 2006, he took his guns, his rage, and his shame, and he went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in the little hamlet of Nichols Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. In that room, he walked with a 9mm pistol, a 12-gauge shotgun, a 30 out 6 a stun gun, two knives, 600 rounds of ammunition. There's 12 students, 12, excuse me, 25 students and one teacher. 15 are boys. He releases the boys, and the teacher had ran. She's the reason he did not do some of the other things that he had planned to do. But he kept all 10 girls. As the police begin to arrive, he barricades the door. He tied up all 10 girls and said, you're going to pay. God killed my daughter, but you're going to pay. He shot each one of those 10 girls in the head. Five of them died. Five of them survived. With the police outside, he turned the gun on himself and he killed himself. His wife, Amy, is at a local in-touch meeting at the Presbyterian Church, a ladies' meeting. Uh, she didn't know what was happening. When she found out, immediately she got her children and went to her house. Uh, the evil acts had been betrayed, uh, committed against the Amish community, the slaughter of their innocent children. But the story doesn't end. In just a couple of hours, a group of men from the Amish church show up at Amy's house. And they said, we have already forgiven your husband. And we want you to know we have no ill will towards you and your children. He says, we know you have suffered a great loss, just like we've suffered a great loss. And we will help you. We'll be your neighbors. We'll be your friends. And we will help you recover. See, the church is supposed to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. I heard the account of one of the uh, police officers that was there. He said he, he literally just bawled and fell on the ground when he saw what the Amish community did. You know, because we are forgiven, we can forgive. We can forgive. And forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. But it's not just a decision, it's a decision that you follow up with works of faith. Because faith without works is dead. And when you pray for a person, and when you bless a person, and when you do them good, this is what will happen. God will enlarge your heart. God will enlarge your heart. Now, that does not mean 
that you will forget what happened. But what God will do is he will take the pain of what happened. You see, the Bible says that what Jesus came to do was to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. And when our hearts are broken, he is the only one that can heal it. People will tell you time will heal. All time ever does is let you build walls around yourself so nobody can touch you again. But Jesus can heal a heart and make every person whole. Well, let me pray for you as uh, Jake, Pastor Jake's coming up. Father, I thank you so much for each person that's here tonight, for these good hearts. And I pray, Father, that the word of God that has been sown into our hearts tonight, that it will bring forth fruit in each and every one of our hearts and our lives. We thank you for forgiveness. And we thank you, Father, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we are not only forgiven, but we can forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give it up for Pastor Dwayne. Well, how we want to end uh, just this portion of the night is I'd like to actually give us an opportunity. He's, you know, Pastor Dwayne mentioned faith without works is dead. And so this is like it's just a right moment. Like he just brought the word. So I want us all just to, we're going to go into a time of prayer. So would you all just bow your heads and close your eyes just one more time? Um, you know, I can imagine that if, if anyone in the room has unforgiveness in their life, it, the Lord was bringing it up to you. There were people who have hurt you or offenses that you've held on to or parents that have wronged you or you name the type of person that it might have hurt you. And I want us to take a moment before we, we go into a time of offering forgiveness to those people. I want us to just contemplate how much we've been forgiven. I want you to think about the wrong, the sin, the rebellion that you've lived in and the pain that that's caused other people and that's caused God. You know, we, we sang about it tonight in the song Wondrously Shown. Now on the cross, his stripes, his pain that he took, the suffering that he endured was because he loved us. It's because he loved you. Now that same love that he has towards you by the power of the Holy Spirit and through faith, we can offer that to the people that have hurt us. So now what I want you to do, remember it's a, it's a decision, not a feeling. I want you just to repeat under your breath and your mind, just I forgive, and then name the person for doing. I want you to reference the act of sin or pain or offense that they've caused you. Now, what I, what I want you to do is I want you to release them. So we hold on to this control and this vengeance. And we do that and it opens the door for the devil. And I want you to release that person. So just, I'm going to repeat after me just under your breath and your mind. Say, I release then name that person. 
Now I want you just to, now I want you to, what we say is bless them. So I want you to bless them. Say, I bless and then name the person. Say, I pray that they would find Jesus. And I feel like some people need this this phrase tonight, and this is going to set you free because it's going to bring you to, to Christ. I let go of my need for an apology. Some of you, the reason you're still bound is because you're waiting for an apology to forgive. So I let go of my need for an apology and just release that person and bless them. Now, we do this by faith because of what Jesus has done for us. Much like Pastor Dwayne said, it's a decision, not a feeling, and it's often we have to do this multiple times. We have to do this on a daily basis as feelings and thoughts and pain creeps back in. But as we do this in faith, as we do this consistently, the Lord will start to enlarge our hearts, enlarge our minds, we'll catch God's heart for people, and we'll, we'll, we'll let go of living from pain, and we'll live from the heart of God. So you guys can open your eyes. So let's give it up one more time for Pastor Dwayne. Just thank you so much, Pastor.